welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Caliber. High inflation and higher interest rates, amongst other concerns, have triggered a reversal in growth stocks lately. On today's episode, we discuss the rotation to value, inflation protection, and the importance of having a flexible mandate. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by Vincent Ropers, manager of the elite-rated TBY's multi-asset growth fund. Thank you for joining us today, Vincent. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Chris. Let's start with, with the fund and where it's sort of based. It's in the Investment Association flexible sector. So effectively, you have carte blanche in where you can invest. So you, you could invest up to 100% in equities if you wanted to. Um, given the environment in the past 12 months, how flexible has the portfolio been? And, and has the asset allocation moved around with the sort of changing market sentiment? Um, well, I think the first thing to say is that we are indeed in the, in the flexible sector. Uh, and the reason for that is that we don't want the um, we don't want to have to obey arbitrary constraints from from a benchmark. So that's that's the starting point. Um, then, the, what it doesn't mean is that we're moving our asset allocation around a lot uh, from being hundred percent in equities one month to being hundred percent in cash uh, the the following. So it's certainly not not what we're doing. Um, the the objective of our fund is to um, to to beat equities and to grow capital in in real terms. So uh, we're trying to um, offer at least equity like returns to our investors, but with less downside. Um, so in practice, that means that we'll always have some exposure to equities. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically, um, our equity allocation has been between 50 and, and 80% in, in this fund. Um, another thing to point out, which I think is important, is that we are a fund of funds and we use investment trust a lot. And the great thing about investment trust is that, particularly over the last the, the past few years, we've seen the, um, uh, the alternatives um, bucket uh, growing quite considerably in, in investment trust. So you can use investment trust to access private equity, infrastructure, property, uh, and more esoteric themes like um, energy storage, uh, music royalties, etc. So we have all of that um, available to, to us for, for investing. Um, so to answer specifically your question, over the past 12 months, on the face of it, our asset allocation hasn't moved uh, that much. Um, last summer, we um, we started increasing our allocation to more defensive strategies. So that was the time when we added exposure to um, uh, floating rates exposure in uh, in fixed income with funds like the Twenty Four Income Fund, for example. Or we added some infrastructure debt or exposure to um, to renewables and utilities. Um, but really, um, the overall equity allocation didn't move uh, that much. Was it at the upper end of eighty percent, or where, where was it in that? Uh, no, it's it's much lower. It's it's around sixty five percent at the moment. Uh, but it is within the equity bucket that we've made quite a, a a number of changes. So we've tilted the portfolio increasingly towards value strategies, uh, for example, or we've added our exposure to more um, more opportunistically uh, to 
areas that we think are particularly interesting, like biotechnology and, and healthcare, um, or frontiers markets at the, at the beginning of the year. Um, and we've also added outside of equities to some of our undervalued um, uh, existing holdings, um, like private equity, for example, uh, which was trading particularly uh, cheaply. Um, and um, as we always do, so we tend to be quite disciplined uh, in terms of um, profit-taking. Um, those new purchases were financed by taking profits um, on some of our uh, strategies that perform particularly well, for example, uh, Mobius Investment Trust in emerging markets or AVI Global, um, a global equity um, uh, manager. Um, so you really need to look under the surface to see the, uh, the changes that we, we made over the past 12 months. You mentioned a couple of them that have been made in sort of the start of this year. Obviously, you know, we're only sort of three, three and a half months in. How would you sort of evaluate the year and maybe talk us through some of the areas that have been out and underperforming for you so far? Sure. Um, well, at the, the start of the year, we started with a relatively constructive um, view on, on the economy. Um, so... In December, January, we were adding to our value strategies in, in the equity space with the view that this cyclical recovery was going to continue, that valuations were looking uh, uh, still uh, very attractive. Um, so that's how we tilted the portfolio. Uh, obviously, we hadn't uh, planned for uh, the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, so that changed uh, quite quite a lot of things, uh, not necessarily from an asset allocation standpoint, because we took the view that those things are very hard to predict. Uh, you don't want to, to panic and rush into uh, changing the portfolio around too much in, in the midst of a, of a war. Um, we've been um, making some changes or adding to some um, position opportunities opportunistically uh, in in March uh, so dipping toes in the in the water in some of the, the our positions that uh, had suffered um, uh, the the most but in terms of contribution um, I think without much surprise our best performing positions were in the commodity space so mm -hmm. Blackrock well mining, um, was uh, one of our best performers. Um, and the Jupiter Gold and Silver uh, Fund as well. Um, Do you want to go, go into a bit more about those two specifically and, and what, you, what you like about them and why? Well, um, the first thing to say is that we've, we've owned those two uh, positions for a number of years now uh, with uh, differing uh, weights uh, over time. Um, but really, if we look at the, the mining and resources sector, the things that attracted us before we were really uh, all talking about inflation was um, the valuation element. Um, so the mining sector um, was, has been very cheap uh, for, for a long time. Um, this, to us, is an obvious way to play the uh, transition away from fossil fuels. So mm. all those metals, um, or, or at least a lot of those metals, like, like copper or even silver, um, are really necessary um, in the electrification process. Mm. Uh, you, you can't do without those. Um, 
We also liked the fact that the, the sector, after years of poor uh, capital management, um, managed to rebuild itself in a way. And uh, most of those companies present very strong balance sheets. And uh, with rising commodity prices, this is going straight down uh, to their uh, profit line. And they're able to they generate very strong uh, cash flows that are then distributed um, uh, increasingly to, to shareholders. So all those things were things that we, we have liked uh, for, uh, for a long time. And obviously, um, now that inflation is uh, at the forefront of any conversations, uh, we think that this is um, uh, an easy hedge, really, for, for any portfolio. Um, so we are at a time, quite an interesting time from an asset allocation standpoint, really, where you can't use a fixed income to, um, to hedge your portfolio uh, to hedge your equity exposure. So mm -hmm. traditionally, you would have equity exposure. You could rely on uh, fixed income markets to, to hedge your positions. This clearly, in, a, in an inflationary environment, rising rates environment, this doesn't work. Um, but positions in commodities are actually playing uh, a useful part in, in that hedging pro process. So that's why we continue to like positions like BlackRock Rural Mining. Um, the Jupiter Gold and Silver Funds is a slightly different story because, um, well, gold is, uh, I think, an asset class on, on its own. Um, so it can provide inflation uh, protection. But what we've seen uh, really in February and March, it's not only the inflation protection, but also the, the traditional safe haven um, uh, a quality of uh, of gold. This is one. It, I think it remains one of the uh, asset classes that people turn to um, when there is uh, a shock, like a, like a war, for example. And you mentioned inflation protection there. Obviously, you mentioned a couple there. Are, are there any others? You mentioned infrastructure. Perhaps are there any other sort of areas that the inflation protection, where you've got holdings that are positioned to sort of prepare for that scenario. You mentioned the alternatives buckets growing. Are there, are there others there as well? Yes. So um, commodities, infrastructure. So infrastructure is, in, is interesting because a lot of the, the vast majority of uh, revenues from your, your traditional infrastructure play is inflation um, linked. So you've got that direct um, protection against, against inflation. Um, Positions in um, uh, the in renewables and infrastructure, so it's it's a bit broader than infrastructure. But uh, we've got two positions: uh, one in EGL, which is a trust uh, managed by Ecofin, uh, Global Infrastructure Trust, and uh, an open-ended fund uh, in the the Premier Mighton uh, Global Infrastructure Income Fund. Um, both of those that invest in the broad infrastructure uh, theme, but via listed uh, equities. So naturally, they are um, directed towards your traditional uh, large utilities companies, mm -hmm. um, which are still perceived by, um, by the market as being part of the old world, but that actually behind the scene are transitioning mm. uh, quite actively and quite quickly, uh, particularly in Europe, um, 
um, towards more uh, renewable energy. So, um, and those types of companies, again, so they play the um, the renewables theme and the fossil fuel transition theme, uh, theme uh, sorry, but they also um, have a lot of their revenues that are protected uh, directly uh, against against inflation. Um, and finally, in the in the fixed income space, um, so well, fixed income is probably not the the right uh, term because they're actually floating uh, income. But um, the the two funds that I, I mentioned at, at the beginning that we we added to twenty four income, so that's asset backed securities. So those are taking exposure in the bond market to um, uh, principally to mortgage repayments. Um, so those payments, uh, those bonds uh, are floating rate rather than being fixed rate. So they move in line with inflation, which offers a, a natural protection. Um, and GCP infrastructure, that's another way to play the infrastructure theme, but through the bond market. So it's providing um, uh, debt facilities to, um, to infrastructure projects. Um, and there again, um, those bonds uh, have got a direct um, uh, inflation link. So um, we've got uh, a number of pockets in, in the portfolio um, that are well protected against inflation. I should point out that none of the positions are there specifically to protect us against inflation. So uh, there are positions that are there in, in their own right, and we think the... Um, they, they are interesting themes that are relatively still undervalued that can grow uh, from here. Um, but having the inflation protection is definitely a bonus in the current environment. And just last, obviously, you mentioned earlier the, the sort of shift to a few more value names at the moment in, in the fund. Um, inflation is the buzzword in markets, but we're seeing the word stagflation or stagflationary environments becoming more prominent in press headlines, et cetera. How will this value tilt or will value funds in general, do you feel, perform in that sort of scenario where if we do go into a stagflationary environment? But we're, we're still quite um, confident about those, uh, the, the ability of those strategies to, uh, to perform. Um, obviously, inflation is going to be difficult for uh, most companies. So um, the thing that we notice with all of our value managers is, um, well, first, by nature, a value, an equity value manager will always focus on the downside first. Uh, yeah. That's part of the of the nature, as opposed to if you want to put people in boxes, as opposed to a growth manager that will focus on the future growth story. Um, um, a value manager looks at the the assets as they are now, um, uh, kicks the tires, look at what the, the downside can be, um, and then where we stand relative to, to their valuation. So there is, I think, this inherent protection against, against the downside with a value manager. Then um, value um, equities should perform much better in the rising rate environment than um, than growth uh, companies uh, purely by the effect of uh, the the discount rate which is, which is used. Um, so growth companies that have got where you discount future cash flows sometimes many many years or decades into the into the future will be hurt by uh, rising rates. Um, so that's another characteristic that that we like and we think will 
continue to to play in the hands of value versus uh, growth. Um, most of our managers spend a lot of time inquiring with their companies about their abilities to uh, their ability to pass on inflation to their end customers. Um, so their portfolio is um, at the moment quite heavily tilted toward those companies that can pass on uh, price increases. Um, and um, I think for, for us, the, the key is really when you look at global value versus growth, um, um, it's not a buy signal in itself, but the discrepancy between value and growth is still pretty much as extreme as it's ever been. So global value uh, equity uh, equities have underperformed global growth by more than 50% since um, uh, 2007, for example. And if you look over the past three years, we're still 25% behind in value versus, versus growth, which sounds like an anomaly um, ready to us. In itself, as I said, it's not, it's not a buy signal because valuation alone is never um, a good enough catalyst. You just know that uh, divergences tend to, um, um, to, to migrate together, so to, to get eradicated over time. Uh, you just don't know when this is gonna happen, but to us, it offers a, a significant margin of safety. So, so just lastly, given what you said, given the environment we're in and the stuff you mentioned there about value in regards to growth historic, you know, um, I guess, would it take a significant catalyst or inflection point for you to reverse those positions anytime soon? Well, that's quite a, a difficult one. In terms of catalyst, I really can't think of anything um, that would make us change the portfolio significantly from here. Um, the, the main thing would be, and that wouldn't happen over time, but would be um, the continued rotation out of growth into value. And if we start seeing a lot of those um, names which are still darlings, you know, for example, in the technology space, um, that uh, fall significantly from, from here, then they would uh, be on, on our radar um, and um, uh, they would become attractive to us, but this is not going to happen overnight. Um, and the key is that despite all I was talking about, um, about our tilt towards uh, equity value, the portfolio in itself, um, hopefully I've given you a flavor of the things we've got in there is well diversified. We, we've got many levers, levers that we can pull. Um, we do actually have got access, uh, I've got exposure to uh, growth strategies as well, but we don't, we do it uh, indirectly. So I would mention private equity, for example. Um, so if you look at the traditional listed private equity trusts uh, that are available in the UK, a lot of them um, have got exposure to technology, healthcare, consumer sectors. Um, but the beauty of it is that uh, because of the private equity model, um, the managers are directly involved in uh, the, the management of those companies, so they can tilt those companies. Um, the valuations in the private markets are not as expensive yet as in the public markets. Um, and the last point is that we can access those trusts at 
20 to 30% discount, um, while we would need to pay uh, a, a par um, to access those similar sorts of companies in the public market. So um, we have got that exposure. It is a diversified portfolio, relatively well balanced, and we just try to tilt it towards where we find uh, the most value um, at any point in time. That's great, Vincent. Thank you once again for spending some time with us today. Thanks very much. The TBY's multi-asset growth fund has a clear, straightforward process. The focus on high-quality funds coupled with strong exposure to investment trusts offers a valid alternative in the IA flexible sector. To learn more about the TBY's multi-asset growth fund, visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Caliber's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Caliber's research team only. 